Good morning. Let's come back together, find our seats. It's good to be back with you after vacation. Although I do miss pine trees and, and clean air and all that kind of good stuff. But um, we're going to be jumping into the next section of James this morning. And, and one of the things that we've noticed as we've gone through James is James is, as we've said even in our title, he wants to help us learn how to put real faith into real life. What do we do with our walk with God when real life happens? Because real life isn't always the most pleasant thing in the world, right? And, and he's talked about trials and sufferings. And, and in this Genesis 3 world, we hit all kinds of things, all kinds of curveballs that come our way. And Jim prayed for many of those, thank you Jim, in our congregation. And I know that there are days that are just hard. And there are, are dark nights of the soul, one of my professors used to call them, where, where we are just struggling to, to breathe and to exist. And, and James is writing to believers who are in suffering of all kinds and in persecutions of all kinds. And, and we saw that in, right from the start, verses 2 through 4 of the book, the first thing he says is, brothers, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. And then he goes into asking for wisdom and asking God for wisdom. And, and several times he's gone into some of the things that they're going through. Just in the last section, what Pastor Andrew covered two weeks ago, it was patience in suffering. What do you do when your external circumstances aren't fair, when things don't seem to be happening the way they should? How do we deal with this and keep our faith in God? That's what James is interested in. How do we deal with this in a godly way that brings glory to God? And so today we come near the end of the the book And to the last major section of the book, we have one more paragraph we'll talk about next week. And James continues this theme, and he he more brings it home to say, okay, there's all this external suffering, all this external stuff, but what about when when the the pain hits home? What about when there's sickness or chronic sickness like, like Jim talked about? What about, what do we do when we hit those times that we have no control over, that we don't know how we're going to get out of. And, and that is where he comes today. And his answer is just seeped with the Gospels in the ministry of Christ. His answer is prayer. It's prayer. And it's not a platitude. James isn't saying, oh, I'll pray for you. And then forgets about it for the next week until we see him again. We're like, oh no, throw up a quickie for God. Okay, yeah, I prayed for you this week. Um, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking serious, fervent prayer. And if you think about it, James has been reflecting on the Gospels and he's saturated with the Gospels and we've shown that every week in his teaching. And and Jesus himself put such a priority on prayer. Let me just read some verses. Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he being Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. In Luke, all the rest are out of Luke. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. In Luke 6, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. In Luke 9, now about eight days after saying these, after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Why did Jesus pray? He was one with the Father. He was praying because it is vital for us as believers in our walk with God to be dedicated to prayer. 
And he was showing this example of prayer and hard work in prayer, earnest, diligent, fervent prayer. And James is taking that at the end of his book when he's bringing all this together of how do we live real faith in real life in the hardships of this life. His final answer, you know, remember that show? His final answer is prayer. It's prayer because in the act of prayer, we come under the lordship of Christ. We admit, I can't do this. I need God to do this. And prayer is where God gets the glory because it's what enables Him to work and energizes that work. And so we come to James chapter 5. We're just going to do six verses this morning. And, and really, my plan for this morning is to shorten the message a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> And then spend maybe 10 minutes at the end praying together. And we'll have some elders come up here and you can come up and share some of your requests with the elders and they can pray for you, pray with each other. And so we're going to leave some time to actually put this text into practice because it's one thing to read it and study it. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to live it. And that's what we want to be about at Village. So that's, that's the overview of our morning. Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover one just right under a chair around you. I think every other chair has one under. Grab that, pull it out. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that with you as as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word. So James chapter 5, 13 through 18. I'm going to read the whole text and then we'll break it down. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. Lord God, as we come to your text this morning, pray that you'd work in our hearts. Open our hearts to be your church, to follow your instructions, to pray for each other, to genuinely share with each other, Lord, that we are a body of Christ that is bearing one another's burdens. In your name, amen. So we jump right in, verse 13. And, and in your notes, point number one has 13 as the big picture. 13 is, is James' is sort of big intro for this section on prayer. And it's make talking to God your habit in every situation, no matter what. Make prayer something that is part of our life, no matter what situation we're in. And really, this is the habit that will enable us to have a life of prayer and faith when difficult times happen. If we're already in the habit of, no matter what, going to God. Verse 13, he says, Is anyone suffering? And that's the the, the bad side of this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. Go to God. Petition God. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so really, he's saying, okay, if things are bad, praise God. Or, or pray to God. If things are good, praise God. And he's covering the whole spectrum. We, see, we know later in the text, he says, if you're sick, pray. If you're dealing with sin, pray. And James, his first point is, prayer should just infuse everything. 
It should be part of every part of our life. It's a normal part of every part of our life to go to God in prayer. He gives two, two examples there, the suffering. And, and the idea of suffering here is when we're in trouble or the afflictions and trials. And it's a little bit broader term than we'll get in the next verse. But it's any kind of, of trial that can come on you that is a distress. One author said the internal distress caused by outward circumstances. Paul used this word for his imprisonment. And so this is, this is any trial that we're going through that is just difficult that I know many of us are, are, are going through today. Many of you are. And, and James's instruction says, don't grumble. Don't give up. Don't get angry. Don't shut down. Don't, all of those natural things. Don't do those things, but do the work of prayer. Go to God in prayer. And he's carrying on this theme of patience and suffering and trusting God because prayer is the ultimate act of trusting a sovereign God. And so James says, if you're suffering, if you're going through the dark times, really pray. Diligently pray. You know, as I was studying, I'm like, well, what does this prayer look like? Because so many times, I think, especially in our Western culture, we're just not good at praying. We're not good at praying hard prayers and fervent prayers. You talk to someone and say, we're going to have an hour prayer meeting. And they're like, what do you mean? Our requests are done in five minutes. What do we pray for then? And, and, and I think we need to learn how to pray and learn how to pray well. And in this case, when we're in trial, yes, we can pray, Lord God, take this from me. But really what James is saying, what he's been saying the whole book, is our prayers to, to Lord God, help me through this. Help me persevere. Help me endure. But prayer village is, is so much more than that. The second half of this verse says, if you're cheerful, if you're happy, if things are going well, then rejoicing God. Praise God. And praise is another way we pray. It's talking to God. It's giving glory to God. In fact, Paul repeatedly combined this idea of praise and prayer. But when we think of when we're in distress, when we're in trouble, how do we pray? And this is where, where the whole Bible helps us. I think if we go to Psalms, we can learn how to pray well when we're in trouble. Because so many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament or Psalms of trouble. And, and the psalmists are showing us, they're showing us in God's Word how to pray. In fact, I just want to look at a short one today to give us a pattern. And if we think of how to pray in, in difficulty, think in terms of pouring out our heart to God. You know, so many times I think we're afraid to be honest with God. We're afraid to say, you know what, life really stinks right now. Because we think that, that somehow God can't handle it. No, no, God knows life stinks right now. He sent His Son to pay for the sins of this fallen Genesis 3 world. He is combating what is happening in this world. He knows. And when our hearts are troubled, when our hearts are weak, we need to cry out to God and say, life stinks. It is hard. And so turn with me to, to Psalm 13. We'll put it on the screen as well. Psalm 13 is just six verses, but it's a, a psalm of lament. And when I think of how to pray in suffering, I think three words. I think heart, pouring out your heart, request, and trust. And, and if we have a pattern for praying, it's heart, request, and trust. And we see this over and over in the psalms. I'm not making this up. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. And this is the psalm of David. 
And, and we see his heart pouring out his heart to God first. How long, O oh Lord? How long, Yahweh? Will you forget me forever? I, I think we'd be scared to say that to God sometimes. We'd be scared that some lightning bolt's going to come and strike us dead right here or something. But God knows what's in our heart. He wants us to give what's in our heart to him. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you get a little distressed there? This isn't happy, happy, joy, joy. This is, my heart is troubled and I am struggling. And God, I'm struggling with blaming you. And he pours that out to God. And that's the heart. Verses 1 and 2, the heart. Then in 3 and 4, we get the request. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And we see the request. God, help me. Bring light to my eyes. Help my circumstances. And so just in the short psalm, he pours out his heart. He asks God for help. And then in 5 and 6, and this is the key to praying through suffering, he comes back to the character of God. He comes back to, to what God is doing and trust in God. And in 5 and 6, but, no matter what happens, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And in 5 and 6, it's claiming the promises of who God is. See, God wants us to pour our heart out to him, but then we have the truth of Scripture that overwhelms our emotions, overwhelms what we may be going through. And, and, And the psalmist here comes back to that God is a God of steadfast love. He is trustworthy. He has given us salvation. There is nothing more we need. He has given us salvation. He, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. And He says that out of a distressed heart. That's how we pray in suffering. That's an example of it. You can go to any of the Psalms of Lament, except maybe one, and it, that doesn't follow the pattern. All the rest follow this pattern. Because God is teaching us how to pray in suffering. It's not just, oh, Lord, life stinks, make it all roses. But I trust you, God, in whatever you're doing. Please be with me. And so we pray in suffering. We sing praises in good times. And all of this is James saying, make talking to God your habit in every situation. Make it who you are, no matter what, good or bad. And then in verse 14, he gets into specifics and and. And throughout 14 through 16, he's going to deal with both physical illness and spiritual illness. And these thoughts are going to be intertwined, and many of the words deal with both. And so we, we, my notes, we separate them into two, two and three. But really, the thoughts throughout this, this text are very intertwined. But point number two, where he gets, is when dealing with sickness, include the elders and the rest of the church for powerfully effective prayers. When dealing with sickness, include the elders and the rest of the church for powerfully effective prayers. Don't handle it alone. In verse 14, is anyone among you sick? 
And that word for sick here is the word that was used for weakness in the Gospels, almost always for physical weakness, for sickness. But it, but it include also emotional weakness and, and, and distress and depression. And he says, is any of you weak bodily? Are you weak with, with what's going on in this world? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And you were all with me probably until that last phrase. You're like, what? That's a little weird. But let's dig into this. Let's explain this because this, this is a command from God of how we handle an ongoing sickness, how we handle a serious illness. See, the elders here represent the, the pastors of the church. We have pastors and elders, but really it's the same. We're, we're all shepherding, just some get paid and some don't. But God says, include the leadership of the church. Think of the body of Christ and include them in an official capacity. It's not because elders somehow are closer to God. And somehow we, we get our, her, your, our prayers heard and yours not. That's not where he's going. In fact, he's going to counter that in the next verses. But it's because they are who God has ordained as leaders of the church. And God chooses to work through leaders. And so this is God's prescription for healing. Is anyone sick? Call for the elders of the church. Notice who's doing the calling. The sick person. The, the, now, it, shouldn't, it doesn't mean we as elders won't pray for you unless you ask. No, that's not what it's saying. But James is putting the initiative on that person who is struggling to show faith, to show submission to God and call in the elders. And then they will pray over and they, they will lay hands on. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, anointing with oil, that was something they would have been familiar with. We aren't as familiar with it. And, and so, yes, that might sound strange to us. But as we practice this as an elder board, and, and I'll explain this in a moment, but as we practice it, we do anoint with oil because the Scripture says to. And, and it helps to understand what oil represented in People were all over the place with what it represented because there were three major things it represented. One definitely doesn't apply to this text of like anointing a king or someone to a particular act of service. But the, the two things, the two things that oil represented that apply here, first it represented medicinal value. And so for them, oil was part of making someone feel better, comforting and, and, and helping the sick. Do you remember the Good Samaritan? In Luke 10.34, the Good Samaritan, he gets the, the man that's been beaten, and it says he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him in an inn and took care of him. And so oil represents the best medical help you can get. And, and when someone's ill, we, we pray and we trust God, but God sometimes uses doctors. He often uses doctors. He still gets the glory. It's still him working. And I think the oil represents that, the, the medicinal value of it. And, and so that is, is part of what's going on here. But the other part that we see in Scripture is that the oil represented the working and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, even Jesus, as he, he's starting his ministry, he reads Isaiah. He talks about that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, anointing him. He has anointed me to do this. And so this idea of anointing and the Spirit of the Lord are, are, are tied together in the Gospels. And when we anoint someone with oil, that oil isn't magic. It doesn't do anything, but it represents not only medicinal help, but it represents that the Holy Spirit, and we, we put it on the forehead, 
the Holy Spirit is covering this situation. The Holy Spirit is present. He is intimately present. And He is at work, strengthening. And I'm just going to show you a little bit. I've asked Anthony to be my guinea pig. Come here for a minute, Anthony. I decided to ask someone ahead of time on this one. And so what we do, just because I, I want you to, to not be afraid to come to the elders and ask for prayer. So this is what happens. We take just a little bit of oil and we read this passage and we explain it. And I just take a little bit of oil on my finger and I rub it on someone's forehead. You okay? He hasn't died or anything. See, <laughs> this is okay. And, and then we explain what, that this represents the Holy Spirit, that this represents God working either miraculously or through doctors. And it's not magic. We're not forcing God's hand to heal, but we're asking God to heal. You can know that. Thank you. And, and then we lay hands on and we pray. And we ask for God to work. That's what this text is talking about. That's how we practice it. Because we're going to obey Scripture. And I encourage you, if you're sick, if there is an ongoing illness, and, and, and the wording here refers to a more serious illness. The person probably can't go to the elders. They're coming in over him. They're probably laying down. But ask us. Tell us. Let's pray together. Open up. Man, we want to, in America, we want to do everything ourselves and we want to be closed off. But open up and let your church in. Let's deal with this together. The last part of that verse is in the name of the Lord. And that's, every word is really important in this text, in the Bible, I know. But in the name of the Lord, think two thoughts. Think his authority and his will. And when we pray something in the name of the Lord, in this case, we're, we're claiming his authority. God does the healing, not the elders, not the oil, not the setting. God does the healing. And so it's his authority that we are praying through in the name of the Lord. But it also represents his will. And coming under his will, that we're not manipulating God, but coming under his authority, we're seeking his will. And his will may be to heal, his will may be not to heal. But his will is best. And his will will is what we cherish. James has already talked about this, hasn't he? When you pray, don't just pray, hey, this is going to happen, but rather say, if the Lord wills, do this, or if the Lord wills, I'll do that. And that's part of what this phrase brings to mind in the name of the Lord. He goes on in 15 and says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the word for prayer here actually is, a, it, it, it's really fun in the Greek sometimes. I know we don't talk a lot about the Greek, but the word for prayer here changes. And this word is more of fervent petition. And, and, and it's saying that this, this petition, this, this work of prayer will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And there's two descriptions there. Save the one who is sick. And, and in this case, sozo, the word for, for save, references physical healing. It can be both spiritual healing, salvation. It can represent physical healing where it's often used that way in the Gospels. And this represents physical healing. Village, God can still heal. God can still heal. I, I know that we're, we're dealing with the Holy Spirit now and some things we don't want to talk about. No, God still heals when it is His will and when it is His choice. And so we need to pray realizing our God is a powerful God that still does miracles. But that doesn't mean we force His hand and convince Him and trick Him into doing a miracle. It's still His will. And James here is bringing both of those things together. 
And so the results, he says, he'll be saved. There'll be physical healing. And then the second result is he'll, the Lord will raise him up. Literally give him energy, get him out of bed, get him going, like Simon's mother-in-law, where, where she got up and started serving and cooking and all kinds of stuff after she was healed. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And so we, we, we have to acknowledge the question, does God always heal? There's not many maybes here. But you have in the name of the Lord. And also I think that one of the keys is the beginning of 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Faith in God. Who faith in matters. It's everything with faith. And God can take a little bit of faith. And because he is infinitely powerful, he can work with that. But faith in God also means faith in his will and his choice. And so that phrase is really the one of the... the the um, balancing phrases of this, to say, I put myself under God's sovereignty. I trust God's sovereignty. Faith means trust. In fact, sometimes that word's translated trust. And we sang a lot of songs about trusting God through trials today. It's out of this verse that says a prayer in faith, a prayer that trusts God, a prayer that acknowledges that God's will be done, not mine. That is how we pray. And then we know if God answers it, that was His will. And if He chooses a different path, that's His will. And we're in His will. Sometimes God doesn't heal. It was Paul with his thorn and and he prayed fervently and repeatedly and God chose not to heal. But God is still good. God still ministered to Paul. He helped Paul through that. He used that for ministry. See, only God knows His plan for His glory and our ultimate good. And so pray boldly for healing. And as elders, we'll pray boldly for you for healing, but we'll pray in faith knowing that God's will be done. I remember one missions trip I was on, and I was a pastor at the time, and the pastor that we were with and and, an elder asked if I'd go with them to pray for a lady who was um, crippled and unable to walk. And we went and prayed. I, I read this. We prayed this. And we, we followed this instruction and um, went back to the church. And I didn't think anything about it because I actually, I don't know that I always believe God can heal. And so I'm like, okay, I prayed. But, you know, whatever, whatever you do, God. And that night at the service we were having, we had a church service. And, and one of the elders came to me and says, do you know who that lady is that just walked in? I'm like, no. <laughs> a little dense sometimes. No. And, and he said, that's the lady you prayed with this afternoon that hasn't walked in years. And I was shocked. And God began to work on my heart that maybe following James 5 matters. <laughs> and I was shocked. And someone said to me, you did what James 5 says to do. Why are you surprised? Ouch. Ouch. And so we practiced this. When dealing with sickness, include the elders and the rest of the church. And, and actually the verse is gone in 16. It brings in the rest of the church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And that's dealing with the sin side of thing. But then and pray for one another as a separate command that you may be healed that covers both of this, that covers all of this. And James is saying, open up with each other. Pray for each other. It matters. Go to the elders in an official capacity, but then pray for each other as the body of Christ. We get to point number three. And point number three deals now with the spiritual side of things. 
Prayer and transparency in the church is powerfully effective against sin. Let me repeat this. Prayer and transparency, vulnerability, authenticity in the church is powerfully effective against sin. And I use powerfully effective because in the verses we're going to read, it says that prayer is powerfully effective. And so the idea here is we start with prayer, then we fight the sin in the context of community by engaging others for accountability and prayer. Verse 15, the end of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And and this again gets, we have to understand their mindset. Many believed at the time, if you were sick, it was a result of sin. So it must be because of sin in your life. And and James here is actually countering that a little bit. Do you, do, you, do you catch the first word of the phrase? If he has committed sins. And so James here is, is acknowledging, yes, sometimes sin causes, causes illness. And I've seen people, I've seen Christians walk away from God and, and enter a life of sin. And it is amazing the illnesses and the sicknesses and what comes on their life as God's protection is removed. So sometimes that is God trying to get our attention and, and his discipline. But also, James acknowledges it's an if. Sometimes it's not about sin. Remember the blind man that Jesus came across? And the disciples said, so what did he do wrong? Or what did his parents do wrong? And Jesus said, nothing. This was for today that my glory might be revealed. And sometimes that's all sickness is about. But either way here, James is saying, Let's, we need to at least think about sin. See, sickness can be caused by sin, but it is not always caused by sin. We know in 1 Corinthians 11 on the Lord's Supper, those that were in sin, it says, are starting to get ill and are starting to, be, starting to die, to be taken away. And so the, the, this calls us to do a self-check to say, is sin present? Is sin present? And and verse 15 here talks about if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's the prayer with the elders. And the assumption there is repentance. The assumption there is coming under submission to God. And then 16 expands this to the whole church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Ooh, now it's getting real. How do we do this? You know, do, do, do do we have a worship folder section that says, okay, we're going to list everyone's sins this week. No, 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 no. And this, I've seen this abused. I've heard of this being abused. When it talks about confessing your sin one to another, it's talking about finding brothers and sisters in Christ that you know are walking the Christian life with you and coming to them and saying, this is what I'm struggling with. And it is scary and it is hard because we are afraid of being judged. We are afraid of losing friendships. But may we be the kind of church that it's okay to share what we're struggling with. And then we direct each other back to God and His Word and what God is doing. May we be that kind of church where someone can say, yeah, I'm struggling with anger. I yelled at my wife this week and I hurt my children. And we come alongside and say, let's look at Scripture about that. Let's give that to God. Let's earnestly dedicate this to God in prayer. See, the context of this text is community. The elders, the church, And we keep trying to deal with all these things, sickness and and sin. We keep trying to deal with them alone because we're embarrassed and we're self-sufficient. Quite frankly, we're proud. And God says, humble yourself. Go to the body of Christ. 
And so he says, confess your sins one to another. There's two commands. Confess sins to each other. And the second command is pray for each other. And he broadens back out to the whole topic here. Pray for one another. Commit to praying hard-working prayers for each other. At the top of your, your notes, I put the theme for the morning. Fervent prayer is powerful and effective. And so we're to engage each other, asking for diligent prayer, even in the most difficult times. And if I had to summarize it, I would say work hard at hardworking prayer. And that's what this, is, this command in 16 is saying. Work hard at prayer. Pray for each other. Bear one another's burdens. The result is so that you may be healed. The word means to be cured, delivered from it. Has both a spiritual connotation and, and, and a physical connotation. And the implication from the context from the verse is that James is dealing with both and saying, let's deal with the physical world, the real world like that. Let's deal with the spiritual life and sin. But ultimately, stop trying to solve your sin issues alone. Stop it. And go to the body and get help. And he ends with an example, point number four. The fervent prayer of every believer who is right with God is powerful and effective. Believe that truth. And and that's the point for me is sometimes I don't think we believe it. I think we think prayer sometimes or we act like prayer is a throwaway thing that we add on and we forget that it is the power that enables us to live for God. It is the power that enables us to get through any situation. It is the trust of God. And so at the end of 16, James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I love the NIV translation of this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And, and he's bringing it down to a righteous person is any believer who's walking with God. We are all righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But then as we, we are right with God, as we confess our own sins, we are then in a place to, to have powerful and effective prayers. Village, if you're walking with God, you have nuclear bomb power. Not just a little little pellet or something you're throwing at the problem. You have the answer. You have the ability to pray to God and see Him work. Don't underestimate that. Believe that. Powerful, effective prayer is available to every believer walking with God. Not just super-Christians. See, prayer really is powerful. It really makes a difference. Don't take it lightly. One person saw on a church sign, a funny thing happens when you don't pray. And the next line said nothing. Effective prayer is fervent and intense. It takes work. And so James says the prayer of a righteous person is great power. He uses Elijah as an example. He was a man with a nature like ours. Again, James is reiterating, it's us. We have this ability. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. I would say praying against the weather is a pretty powerful indication of God's work. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Village prayer matters. Now yet, fervent, effective prayer is hard work. It takes being emotionally engaged. It's physically exhausting. It's persistent, as we saw with Paul and his thorn. We see Elijah here. It's time-consuming. Jesus went to the mountain. He prayed all night. 
It takes us out of our comfort zone to pray for each other, to share with each other. But it's what makes a difference. I, do you want a gun without bullets? Or do you want the full power of the gun? And when we pray light, easy, weak sauce prayers, uh, we have a gun without the bullets. James is highlighting this. Prayer is essential to dealing with the deepest struggles in our life. It is essential to all these things. Trust Him at all times, whether you're in trials or if things are going well, if you're sick or if there's sin issues that need confession, pray for each other. And then we will see the peace of God which passes all understanding rule in our hearts. In a moment, we're going to um, just release to a quiet time of prayer in here. And the elders will be up here and you'll be able to come up and share some of what's on your heart with them. They'll pray with you. If you or just, just find someone else, like it says, and share a struggle. Maybe you look at somebody and say, how can I pray for you? Or maybe we take the initiative and, and ask the hard question, I need you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And we're going to dismiss and do that in a moment. Um, before we do, I, I want to, to read a letter from Susie and I to you about what's going on in our life. And... Um, this is a time for us to practice this text with you. But I need to read it. Dear beloved village family, as a church family, we're called to love one another. And we do that best by living life together. A church is far more than getting together for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but one that loves and prays for each other outside of these walls in real life through great times and trials. You have proven to be that kind of church and have been such a blessing to our family. As we have studied in James, we are called to battle for each other in prayer during suffering, sickness, and even spiritual battles. In light of and in obedience to these verses, Susie and I want to let you know what we are facing in our lives and ask for your diligent, fervent prayers on our behalf. A week ago Friday, um, Susie underwent a final series of tests to attempt to discover the root of some physical problems and debilitating weakness she has been experiencing. On Monday, we received news that Susie has a mass in her colon that is cancerous. Unfortunately, the cancer has also spread to multiple tumors on her liver. As you can imagine, we dealt with shock, confusion, and a bit of disbelief as we met with a variety of doctors and outlined a plan. Over the next few months to a year, we'll be looking at a regimen of aggressive chemotherapy and nutrition, followed by surgery and possibly other treatments. We are diligently praying for God's healing either miraculously or through the doctor's care. But most importantly, we want God's will to be done and God to be glorified through whatever he chooses to do. My dear family, make no mistake, God is still on the throne and God is still good. We are choosing to count it joy no matter the circumstances. We are asking God for and trusting him for wisdom. Doesn't mean we're jumping up and down in happiness but it means we have confident hope in the creator of the universe and the author of our salvation. He has us in a steadfast love and he is our rock and refuge. Nothing changes that. It is no coincidence that we have been studying James and that today we study the passage that tells us to pray for each other and trust God in that. 
That coincidence is evidence to us that God has graciously and lovingly been preparing our family for this day. Our Heavenly Father is not surprised by this news, and He will give us strength for every step. We will look to bring God glory as we trust Him through each step. The appointments, the procedures, the challenges of this journey. We pray we can see others grow in their trust and confidence in God as we have opportunity to shine brightly for Jesus. This is not a moment of despair, but one of looking expectantly for how God is going to use this. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver Susie, and if he chooses not to, we will still trust that his plan is best. We ask you to join us in confidence, trust, and hope in our God. I should have known I'd be pretty weepy. (laughs) Hope in our God and how he sustains us through this trial. We love you, village, and we love caring for you. And now we humbly ask for your care as a family. We have already met with the elders. They have already followed the instructions of James 5 and prayed for Susie. We ask for your commitment to pray for her as well. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, so we are hoping for several hundred praying or more. We have already been blown away by the love and help from those of you that heard the news this week. Village, you consistently show what it means to be a church in love with Jesus. You show that by loving each other, and that's how the world will know we are Christians, by our love. Thank you. You are an awesome church. Many have asked how you can help. Thank you so much. As we get into the routine of treatments and the kids start school, there will be times where we need to lean on our village family. To start with, do not underestimate the power of prayer. That is how God gets the glory, so pray fervently. We will be setting up a centralized way to pass on updates, prayer requests, and needs. We're doing that through a Facebook group that if you're interested, we can add you to. We cherish this community of believers more than you know. One of our prayers at Village and for Village is that this isn't just about our family. Our situation should not consume or discourage our church family, but motivate us to look around and find ways to help others going through needs, hurts, and trials. Village people all over this room are going through trials and difficulties. And we hope our situation prods each one of us to help others in the church and to love across the church family. Pray for one another. Serve one another. As we discover how this will impact my time, the elders, pastors, and I will spread some of my responsibilities throughout the leadership team to allow me to care for Susie and the kids. While my office hours and my availability for weekly meetings will be reduced for a time, Please know that we love you and are praying for each of you as you are lights for God in this fallen Genesis 3 world. We have a fantastic godly group of pastors, elders, and leaders who will carry on ministry seamlessly. We are sold out for God's ministry here at Village and will continue to make disciples. Thank you for your love and prayers. I want to leave you with this challenge. Just as Susie and I are committed to finding ways to use this to impact people for Christ, May each of you use your own circumstances to draw people to Christ. Let's look forward expectantly to answered prayer and how God will use us as a church to draw people to him. All glory to God. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. 
We're trusting our sovereign and loving God, Pastor Ron and Susie. This text is real. (laughs) And that's what we're going through. And we ask for your prayers and we cherish your prayers. But let's use it as an opportunity to realize there's people all around us that are going through stuff. And as you care for us, care for each other and look for what God wants to do in your circumstances. We're still going to go to a time of prayer. That was planned before we got the news. (laughs) And we're like, okay, do we still do that? Do we not? But this prayer time isn't about us. It's not about Susie, although we cherish your prayers and that can be part of it. But we still want to do this as an opportunity for you to come to the elders and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And maybe our example of being open and vulnerable about where we're at, maybe that'll help someone else come out and say, yeah, this is where I'm at. This is where I need prayer. And come to the elders and ask for prayer. Go to each other and ask for prayer. We're going to take five or ten minutes and do that. We'll push back Sunday school just a little bit. We'll get started when we get started. But what I'd I'd like to ask is just a, a, a time of reverent prayer here. But let's keep this as a, as a room of prayer today. Let me close in prayer as the elders come up and um, just be ready for a time of prayer together. Lord God, you are sovereign, you are holy, you are loving, you are just. Lord, you are all-powerful. And Lord, we rest on those attributes. We rest on who you are because that gives us hope and confidence and peace. And Lord, whatever people in this room are facing right now, May we face it with your strength and may we face it to bring you glory in all things, even the hard stuff. Lord, I do pray for healing for Susie and I pray for healing for the others in this room that are going through things and I I pray for jobs and I pray for restoration of spirit. Lord, I pray that you would work mightily in this congregation and that these circumstances are just a way for us to come together, praise you, pray to you, and see you work and be encouraged in our faith. Lord, we we dedicate this next 10 minutes of prayer to you, to opening up to each other, and to seeing you work at Village. In your name.